1955, a woman named Christine Jorgensen steps off a plane and is immediately surrounded by flashing cameras and reporters. She returns home to New York from Copenhagen. She looks glamorous, kind of like Grace Kelly. She's wearing this long fur coat with a dramatic collar, leather gloves. I'm very happy to be back, and I don't have any plans at the moment. And I thank you all for coming, but I think it's too much. Christine was a media sensation that day because she was the first American to publicly announce her transition from male to female. She underwent sex reassignment surgery at a Danish hospital. But it wasn't called that back then. In fact, transgender wasn't even a term people used in Christine's day. Trans healthcare has evolved a lot in 60 years. But the surgery Christine had is at the crux of Adri Edmo's case today. Adri's case against the state of Idaho is in part about sex reassignment surgery. It's before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and the eventual ruling could have implications for prisoners like her across the country. You're listening to Locked, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. I'm Amanda Peacher. And I'm James Dawson. So in this episode, we're going to dig into the complicated and evolving medical landscape of transgender care. We wanted to understand what the surgery entails and when is it medically necessary. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Excellent. How was your night? Horrible. Horrible. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's Regina Weldert. She's about to undergo a life-changing surgery. It'll take just three hours. Regarding what we're doing today. Do I have questions? You know, we have gone over this. My colleague, reporter James Dawson, met up with Regina before her surgery and afterwards. Hello, James. Hey, Amanda. So, James, tell me, this is not going to be a surprise, but what surgery was she about to undergo? Yeah, she was there for sex reassignment surgery, or like it's now known, gender confirmation surgery. Were you there specifically to see Regina? No, I was actually there to meet with her surgeon, Dr. Jeffrey Stiller, who has done a lot of these surgeries at Gritman Medical Center. So so explain why Moscow? That's a six-hour drive from here. Yeah, it's a bit of a drive, but there aren't many doctors in our region who do this surgery. This is the consent form for the hospital uh, for me to do the surgery here, Okay. <clears throat> Right down there for me. Where the X is? Yep. Can you hear me cross my fingers? <laughs> so, so what is Dr. Stiller like? Well, he's a tall guy. He's got this long black ponytail. And I noticed this tattoo kind of peeking out of his surgical scrubs. You've got Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, Tigger, uh, the whole scene. But all of these fun tattoos aside, he's incredibly serious about transgender health care and has been for a long time. I had the pleasure of uh, doing a plastic surgery rotation and got to meet a transgender patient that had already been through all the her therapy and things like that and spent some time talking with her. And that really is what started my passion for it. And he's really busy doing it. Is that because he's just in high demand because he's one of the only doctors who can perform the surgery? Yeah, pretty much. He's in surgery several times a week and has clients coming to him from all around the region, uh, some even from the East Coast. I guess it became my own little um, desire to to, to treat these patients um, in a comforting manner. Um, I don't know. I can't put a finger specifically on what it was, but uh, maybe it's just hearing their struggle and seeing what I can do to help them. 
So we know that not every transgender person needs or even wants gender confirmation surgery. Some don't need treatment at all. Yeah, that's right. For some, it's enough to change their name and dress in their desired gender. For others, though, the stress of being born in a body that doesn't match their identity is overwhelming. Right. We've talked about this in earlier episodes. It's called gender dysphoria, and there are a lot of different ways you can treat it. Um, For some, hormone therapy is enough. Is that one thing that Dr. Stiller offers? No, he actually just focuses on surgical treatments. Uh, He learned a lot of these procedures during his cosmetic surgery fellowship. Facial and body contouring or facial feminization or masculinization. Uh, Also learned the chest reconstruction, whether it's uh, breast enhancement for trans women or um, mastectomies for trans men. The thing is, though, he told me he needed to learn more. He wanted to take that next step and do sex reassignment surgery, but he told me finding someone to train him was actually easier said than done. I spent oh, over five years trying to find a surgeon that would train me, and it just took me that time to find somebody that was willing. So he had to actually seek out another doctor to teach him to do these surgeries. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he eventually found a surgeon out of Los Angeles who became his mentor watched him operate, and then I actually brought him out to do cases with me. Um, And until he felt I was safe and uh, was doing a good job, I wouldn't let him sign off on me doing them. Okay, so here's the point where we are going to break down this gender confirmation surgery. And so a reminder, this is the male-to-female surgery that Adri Edmo is suing the state to be provided with. And listeners, a heads up, things are going to get a little graphic here. Okay, James, tell us what you learned. You know, it was actually really interesting. Uh, As I found out from Dr. Stiller, sex reassignment surgery is actually a lot of different procedures rolled into one. A penectomy, orchiectomy, uh, vaginoplasty, clitoroplasty, urethroplasty, scrotoplasty. Oh man, you're going to have to explain all that. Don't worry, I'm not going to have to explain it. I had Dr. Stiller break it down for me. What we end up doing is removing the testicles, creating a vaginal cavity between the prostate and the rectum, removing the penis... Um, bringing the urethra down into a a female position. When we remove the penis, we actually take the neurovascular bundle off of it and part of the glands of the penis to create a clitoris. That is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Dr. Stiller's done this surgery more than 150 times now. Of all the surgeries I've done, I think this is the most fascinating anatomic dissection and then recreation. Is it because it's difficult? You like the challenge? Oh, it's incredibly difficult surgery, but it makes sense. It just makes sense when you're doing it. It made sense to him, but as he soon found out, not to everyone. He had just started providing the surgery in Pullman, Washington. And if you don't know it, that's a smallish town in southeast Washington. And Amanda, this is where things get complicated. Pullman... um it had some providers that were uncomfortable taking care of transgender patients, and so they wanted to ask the community whether it was appropriate being done in their community or not. Because um, a lot of these patients do travel a long distance to see me. They're not from the immediate area, and the concern uh, from the administration was, could, could our hospital support this, or, or are we just a community hospital that shouldn't be doing this? Okay, wait, so what exactly was happening in Pullman? Well, Dr. Stiller had performed two surgeries with his mentor and was getting ready to start performing them on his own, but there was some pushback at the local hospital here, Pullman Regional Hospital. Who was pushing back? You know, it was coming from inside and outside of the building, so the board temporarily puts things on hold while they took public comment. Dr. Stiller told me he was crushed. 
It was a very stressful time because um, I had finally find someone to train me, and that was all during that 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 time period. And this was a passion of mine that I wanted to proceed. And Amanda, what was kind of interesting to me about this is he told me he was experiencing so much stress that he lost twenty pounds over those few months. Oh my gosh, was he was he bitter at all about this? Uh, it's kind of a nuanced thing. He did understand why there was a controversy. Well, I get it. Um, not. Not everybody is necessarily comfortable taking care of a patient that has different uh, views than themselves, and that's fine. Um, the approach that was happened, I didn't agree with, but it wasn't my choice. Yeah, why didn't you agree with it? I don't think it's the public's decision to who, how a doctor and a patient relate and how they take care of each other. So what did the rest of the community think about all this? You know, he told me a lot of his hospital coworkers felt the same way he did. And when all the comments were counted, the majority of the community was supportive. But there were a group of churches who were vehemently opposed to these surgeries. And in particular, there was also a doctor at Pullman Regional who spoke out against Dr. Stiller and what he was doing. Here he is. His name is Dr. Rod Story. As a physician, I highly pride myself in knowing science and, and really trying to inform my decision making in a, in a scientific manner. But if you look deep into the science of transgender care, what you find is opinion. How did you find this guy? You know, I heard him on a local Christian podcast called Cross Politic. Here's another of the points he made on that show. Surgery has been, you know, it's, it's been purpose is to restore. Right. Mm. And, and in this circumstance, we're not restoring, we're destroying. That's an interesting perspective. So did you reach out to Dr. Story? Yeah, I did. I wanted to hear his perspective on how everything went down. Uh, he told me at the time all this was happening, he wrote a letter to his coworkers. He wanted them to join him in opposing the surgery in Pullman. Did anyone actually do that? No, at least no one joined him in public, but he claims some did raise concerns with him privately. Anyway, bottom line, a big thing for Dr. Story is he thinks the science surrounding transgender care is just moving too fast. The level needed for us physicians to confidently say we're doing, not doing harm and that we're doing good, I don't think we come anywhere close to that. In fact, I do think we're going we're gonna to be quite aghast when we look at this generations from now and say, I cannot believe that we, that we took these steps. So is there some credence to this fear? You know, we've talked a lot about the psychology behind gender dysphoria, but what about the science about sex reassignment surgery as a treatment for it? What does the research say about this? You know, a lot of critics like Dr. Story like to point out studies that follow transgender men and women after they undergo surgery aren't as scientifically controlled as others. All right. Well, in what way exactly? How much do you remember from junior high school science class, Amanda? Um, I remember some. Okay. Where are we going here? <laughs> well, so remember when you're doing your lab experiments, you keep two groups separated and uh, only one of them experiencing any sort of change. That way you can tell if there's any difference in what you did and they're called randomized controlled studies. So in this case, is what you're saying here that you'd have to purposefully refuse surgery to a transgender person for whom it's medically necessary and follow them around for a few years to compare them with another person who got the surgery and we're in a comparable medical situation. That seems that seems like you'd just be denying treatment to someone, right? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, I talked to a medical ethicist named Laura Kimberly at NYU about this. It would be unethical to design a randomized controlled trial where you have patients enrolled who aren't receiving any intervention at all, given the risks that we know that are associated with severe gender dysphoria. 
And we're talking big risks here, like depression and suicide. Which we know that trans people experience at higher levels than the rest of the community. Exactly. And we should mention here that dozens of studies in professional medical groups, uh, people like the American Psychological Association, say transgender patients report a better quality of life after getting some type of treatment, including surgery. So in the end, did the science actually win over opposition to Dr. Stiller's practice in Pullman? The thing is, it turns out it didn't matter. I've not had a single patient have a grossly negative experience in this community. They are, have been embraced by the community. I'm guessing this community he's talking about isn't Pullman. Yeah, that's right. While Pullman was kind of waffling about whether to allow Stiller to even do the surgery, he was talking to Gritman Medical Center in Moscow just across the border in Idaho. And that hospital said, sure, come on over, work over here. And it's a very different town from Pullman. Uh, The hospital there not only welcomed him, they helped him develop his transgender program. So that's the clinic where we met Regina Welder, right? Yeah, the patient that we heard from earlier in the story on the gurney. I don't want to assist. I don't want to be awake. You sure? Because, you know, it's half price if you assist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Regina came to see Stiller for the first time last year. I actually sat down with her the day before her surgery. I'm curious about how she got to the point where she realized she wanted the surgery, she needed the surgery. So just tell me more about her. Okay, so she lives in a small town called Dayton in southeast Washington state, a couple hours drive from Moscow. Uh, She hangs out a lot at the gourmet coffee shop she owns. You know, I roast all the coffee myself. Very nice. I'm the head barista. I'm the head roaster. And it's a marvelous little place. Regina opened Ray's Roast about six years ago with her then-wife, Rebecca. She was married. Yeah, she was married for a long time, but she told me she'd been keeping her real feelings at bay for years. I had basically lied to myself my entire life. I had done all the manly things that I could. I had farmed. I had been a fish biologist living in the backcountry. I hiked. I did all kinds of, of manly things, and it was all a lie. She and her wife ended up getting a divorce, but it was actually kind of sweet. Her ex-wife, Rebecca, was in the room with us at that pre-op appointment, and they're friends now. She trusted me enough to go through this process together, so it's nice. You know, I am um, grateful that we're friends. Plus, I get free coffee beans for life. <laughs> it always comes back to the coffee. So when did Regina start thinking about surgery? It actually wasn't until fairly recently. She eventually went to see Dr. Stiller in 2018. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, he's pretty busy, and she was on the wait list for about a year. Okay, so we know that there is a set of criteria that every patient has to meet in order to be eligible for all kinds of different surgeries having to do with transition-related care, including gender confirmation surgery. So what did Regina have to do to be ready for her surgery? Yeah, we have these guidelines. They're set out by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, and it's the set of guidelines that Stiller follows. They have to be on hormones for at least one year. 
they have to be living in their gender for at least one year. All their medical and uh, medical or mental conditions have to be well controlled and not affecting their decision. Two doctors had to actually sign off on Regina's surgery too, including a mental health professional. Often my patients are, have been on hormones for and living in their gender for years and years and years. In fact, 10 years is not unusual. We're going to talk about this in the next episode regarding Adri Edmo's case, but these are all the same criteria that Adri Edmo has to meet in order to be cleared for her surgery. Exactly. And I should mention, if Adri is cleared for surgery, Dr. Stiller will likely be her surgeon. Oh, and another thing, it wouldn't be at Gritman. Dr. Stiller recently moved his practice to a hospital in Spokane to be closer to his home. All right, so let's talk about how Dr. Stiller gets paid. Before we talk about Adri Edmo's situation and how it would be paid for should she win— Let's talk about insurance. Does insurance typically cover the procedure? So you've actually got more and more options popping up all the time. I talked to Jody Herman, who studies transgender health policy at UCLA. So it is kind of a patchwork, but certainly there is a precedent that there are states and private insurance who are covering this type of care. So Amanda, Herman told me that the surgery for a male-to-female procedure like Regina's costs about $30,000, but she says a growing number of private insurers are starting to cover it. 18 states now cover the surgery for low-income patients under their Medicaid plans, and Medicare covers it as well, which is how Regina got hers covered. Isn't there a possibility that that could change, though? Yeah, it is possible. Uh, The Trump administration has proposed removing the current protections for transgender patients under the Affordable Care Act. That hasn't happened yet, though. So right now, the federal government is taking comments on that proposal. But at least for the time being, insurance coverage for transgender surgeries and treatments is actually increasing. And does this insurance coverage typically cover all care for people who are transitioning from one gender to another? No, it, it doesn't. So things that are considered cosmetic are excluded. And that would mean things like electrolysis to remove facial hair for trans women isn't covered. Uh, But the $30,000 or so for the sex reassignment surgery is, yeah. So let's talk about Adri Edmo and how her surgery would be paid for if she's successful. Well, Idaho's prison system has a $46.5 million contract with Corizon, who's a private health provider, and she would be covered under that contract. Okay, and that's what's got the governor worried, that this is going to open the door to a barrage of claims. Okay, so we know that there are 40 inmates right now in Idaho who are diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So what Governor Little is concerned about is that all these inmates are suddenly going to be demanding the surgery. So James, when you talked to Jody Herman about that, what did she say about demand for sex reassignment surgery? Well, she told me that based on private and public insurance claims data that she kind of poured over, uh, she says that the governor shouldn't be worried. She says not a lot of transgender patients are clamoring to get the surgery. There is not a rush of demand or a large demand that happens at the outset of providing this benefit. It's actually low and steady over time. Okay, we should note here, James, that Jody Herman supports Adri Edmo's case. Yeah, she submitted a legal brief about it. I feel good, you know, way better than what I thought I would. And I'm in a place where if I do start to feel a little pain, we can work to manage it. So that must be Regina Weldert again. Is that her after the surgery? Yeah, I checked in with her the next day. Uh, The nerve block they gave her had faded, but she told me she'd taken some morphine and kind of tapered that edge off a little bit. I want to feel normal. 
and 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 start that whole learning process of of learning how to take care of myself. So the thing that I kind of found fascinating, Amanda, sitting there in the hospital room, is that Regina isn't even going to get the chance to see her new body for several days. Uh, The bandages covering her new vagina are stitched onto her skin, kind of hoping that it will help it heal more quickly. But she says she can already feel the results. I don't feel testosterone racing through my vein anymore, you know, and, and... Did you feel that? Oh, God. Every day I worried about it. How long does she have to stay in a hospital for a procedure like this? Just a few days. Dr. Stiller likes to keep his patients close by in case any kind of complications come up. But in the meantime, Regina is really taking a philosophical approach to this whole thing. I kind of left it up to God to to see if this would really work. And it did. So I must be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, we're always in the place we're supposed to be when we're there. And, And that's just the way it is. You know, the minutiae, really small stuff, I don't think God really cares about. But things like this, maybe he does. So this surgery is a bit of closure for Regina after 68 years. Oh man, 68 years. I know, right? On this day though, Adriadmo's fate is still up in the air. She's waiting on a ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It'll decide whether her surgery goes ahead or not. And if the Ninth Circuit rules in her favor, she will be the first transgender inmate in the country to get sex reassignment surgery through a court order. And that could have important implications for other prisoners like her. It would be binding on all the district courts in the Ninth Circuit, and it certainly would be persuasive to courts in other parts of the country. They're hardworking civil servants, and they have very complex and stressful jobs. They are prison officials, but they are not medical doctors. They do not have medical training. Deliberate indifference is a very serious label to attach to to anyone. It should sting, because we represent a woman who has been denied treatment to the point that she tried to cut off her testicles twice. And currently, she takes a razor to her arm and cuts her arm in a desperate attempt not to try to self-castrate again. That's next time on Locked. We'll break down Adri Edmo's case and what it could mean for her and for transgender inmates around the country. This episode of Locked was reported and produced by me, James Dawson. And me, Amanda Peacher. You can find us on Twitter at Amanda Peacher and at Radio Dawson. Our team also includes writer and producer Lacey Daly and senior producer Frankie Barnhill. Our managing editor is Kate Kincannon with the Mountain West News Bureau. Tom Michael is Boise State Public Radio's general manager. Special thanks to our colleagues Heath Drusen and Shalane Lippincott. Stephen Cray is our audio engineer. Our theme music is by Boise musician Up Is The Down Is The with additional music by Pottington Bear. Mary Lou Holmes and Monique Betancourt helped with transcriptions. Our theme music is by Boise musician Up Is The Down Is The. We'd love to hear your feedback and your questions. Write us a note or record a voice memo and send it to lockedpod at gmail.com with your name and where you're from. This podcast is a production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Learn more at boisestatepublicradio.org. Thank you.